On this episode of the Vincast, I chat with Fred Pizzini from Pizzini Wines in the King Valley. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And uh, I really do hope that uh, you've been listening to and enjoying some of the recent episodes that I've released of the podcast. Um, as always, it's fantastic to be able to share people's stories with you and to hear from you. But uh, I really do encourage everyone to to get in touch with the guests, thank them for uh, their time and um uh, for, for for what they do in wine, because um, they do love hearing from the listeners. They love hearing that they've uh, their story has resonated with an audience. So, um, I, you know, I, I encourage everyone to, of course, every episode stick around to the end so they can find out how to get in contact with people, visit their websites, uh, visit you know, follow them on social media, whatever the case may be. But uh, please leave a rating or review. Um, that's an also another way to kind of provide some feedback to myself as the host, but also the guests, uh, and even future guests, potential guests for the show. Uh, so thank you as always. Uh, I really do hope you enjoy this week's episode. It's with Fred Pizzini, uh, from Pizzini Wines. Um, you'll note that, uh, recently I've uh, featured a couple of people that uh, have been real pioneers of Italian varieties in Australia and uh, the Pizzini family uh, in particular um, have really big, been instrumental in establishing a foothold for a lot of Italian varieties, not just in the King Valley where they're based, but uh, in Victoria um, as well. And uh, it was great to find out the origins of that to kind of be a bit of a companion piece to the episode I recently released with Mark Walpole. So, uh, like I said before, stick around to the end to find out how you can get in contact with uh, with Fred and myself. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Fred, thank you very much for joining me on the Vincast um, live in uh, in the King Valley, um, in um, a state of disaster here in Victoria. You're a little bit less restricted than we are here in Melbourne, but. Uh, but it's a, you know, it is a, a brave new world that we're currently find ourselves in. But we push on and we we find lovely things to talk about, like uh, like wine. So thank you for making some time. That's a, a pl- pleasure, James. And it's um, if you're going to be locked down, it's not a bad place, a winery, I might add. True, very true. At least, yeah, <laughs> your commute's not too far. So. <laughs> Um, Fred, I start every episode of the podcast by asking my guests if they can remember the earliest interaction they had with wine that sort of set them on a path to, um, to working in, in the wine industry or having a particular passion for wine. Yeah, probably, probably for me would have been, you know, obviously with my father, um, which, you know, when he first bought the property up here in the King Valley, I think the first thing that he planted was about 50 to 60 vines um, and they definitely weren't table grapes they were things to make wine so really it really was born with dad's you know passion for growing things and um, and his love for for you know good wine which he used to make um, and I just used to help him around in the cellar basically you know obviously you know caring for the vineyards when um, on the weekends and then 
just helping him make make wine. Um, so, so you're first generation Australian. I was or, born, or in born in Italy. You're born in Italy. So I really don't know what I am, to be honest. <laughs> no, well, yeah. that, your your kids would be first generation technically. My kids but, but are my you, first you, generation. You, you you migrated when when you were a kid. Yeah, I was. Um, we migrated in nineteen fifty six um, from northern Italy, um, and I was about three and a half. At that, okay. At that period. Do you remember Italy so, at all from then? Um, not a lot. You, you think you do, you know what I mean? I know mum and dad, we went back, we went back together and we went to where I, you know, where I spent my first two or three years. And I think there's some little memories there. I think you think you remember the stairs and you remember the gate and, sure. and maybe sure. you remember the things that when you fell down the stairs, I suspect. Which but, part um, of Italy is your family from? Family's from north, so we're pretty much from, we live between Verano and Bolzano. So if you're talking um, Verona, probably probably about an hour's drive, um, train drive from Verona, at the top uh, end of Lago di Garda. Right, okay. This is the, is this Trentino or Alto Adige? It's uh, Trentino, Alto Adige. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And, um, and your family sort of migrated? post World War II with that, you know, huge migration of Italians to, to Italy. Mm-hmm. Did they initially settle in Melbourne or did they move up to the King Valley fairly soon after uh, that? that? Well, see, dad was one, one of the last four brothers that migrated to Australia. Dad previously had three other brothers that had, that had come three or four years beforehand and um, were already living in Australia. And they were, um, two of them were living in Beechworth, running a cafe. And another one was working in the tobacco industry in, in Murderford in New Robin. So when, when, Dad, when Dad's ticket to Australia basically was, because his background's engineering, um, was to work in the Snowy Mountain Scheme. That right. pretty much bought him you know, the ticket to come to Australia. Skilled migrant scheme. Um, yeah. But when, 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 um, when, when you know, the family arrived and were picked up by his brothers and we went basically to Murderford, Mum basically just said to Dad, if you want to go another 300 miles to your job where you go, I'm staying here. So um, he didn't end up working in the Snow Mountains. He ended up forming a partnership with his brothers um, and working in the tobacco industry. So right. Quite a, quite a big difference to what he thought he was going to be doing. Okay. So um, I, I did recently chat with Mark Walpole, who, of course, you know, he, his family is from that part of uh, Victoria as well. And we did touch upon, you know, um, the, the, the importance of the tobacco industry uh, in that part of Victoria, particularly for Italian migrants. So um, the, the, this was, uh, you, you guys were one of a number of families who were planting, not just tobacco, of course, you know, lots of different crops, but, um, but, but tobacco particularly, yeah, around that, in that sort of what's now the considered the Alpine Valley and, and the King Valley. Yeah. Yeah, well see they, they, they bought a property, they share farmed for a few years and so they could accumulate a bit of money. Then they bought a prop- property in New Robin. And then from New Robin in nineteen fifty nine, nineteen sixty, they bought two properties in the King Valley to expand in, in the tobacco industry. They were fairly pretty progressive sort of family. They were they were big producers of tobacco at one stage. They were the biggest producers of tobacco in the southern hemisphere. So they wow. were pretty successful what they were doing um, and was the tobacco being processed locally um 
it was crazy. Yes, it was. Um, it was. It was. You know, pretty much brought to to a point where you could ship it to Melbourne, sell it. You know, dried and cured. Um, would be sold in Melbourne and would transport it to Queensland. Queensland is where they were. You know, thrash it and turn it into into cigarettes, basically. So yes, it was. Yeah. Right. Um, where were your formative years spent? Oh, uh, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much on the farm here, James. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I, I finished my schooling and and pretty much come back and started working on the family in the family business, basically. Far out. Uh, so yeah. yeah, growing up on a on a farm, um, I'm sure you know probably pretty different to to your kids growing up. Um, you know, very different crops and, and, and different industry. Um, what was it like? Yeah, no, it was pretty good. You couldn't ask, you couldn't look at, look, it was pretty good while I was at, while I was in my younger, in my younger years, because, um, you know, I enjoyed fishing. I enjoyed, you know, just all sorts of, you know, hunting and whatever. And, um, and I really enjoyed sport, but as I got a bit older, you know, when, when, when it was time to, um, to play sport it was um you know Wangaratta was a long way away so I really couldn't get into that sort of so I missed out a bit on that but at the end of the day ended up still making a pretty um pretty um good career of playing football in the local clubs anyway so it was mm. good it was terrific you couldn't I don't think you'd ask for a better better um upbringing to be honest so um something I did just mention is that you know there were quite a, a lot of Italian families who were um, located in that area, um, did they tend to be from that part of Italy as well? Um, not really, not really. The biggest, which was quite interesting in the heyday of the of the tobacco industry on this property here, the, the pretty much the, the 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 share farming community that was actually you know share farming on the property, they were they were they reached the point where there was a a good amount of Greeks, a good amount of Yugoslavs, a good amount. Of normally southern Italians, um, you know, Siciliani and Calabrese. There was a real, it was a real United Nation um, of of young families, and in a lot of cases, they were just young men um, that had left, you know, the country. But it was that was a combination, to be honest. Not a lot of Northerners, a few, not many, not many. Maybe more from more from the Veneto region mm. than they were from the Tatinoitvadji region. Interesting enough. Well, I mean, the Veneto so, region is certainly one of the larger and more, most populated regions um, of Italy. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, pretty good farmers. <laughs> I mean, every, all, yeah, yeah, Italians yeah, in general are good yeah. farmers, but certainly Veneto is probably a little bit more, more similar to the kind of landscape we have here in Australia than um, the, yeah, the extremities of Trentino Alto Adige, which is obviously yeah, mountainous and much different. steeper um kind of uh, land for planting um different countries together but you know i suppose you know what i mean um i i i suspect you know what i mean all these people that left their home country you know what i mean they'll probably the the cream of the crop anyway and you know pretty adaptable they're very adaptable yeah look you know and, and, take, taking the, the the punts um moving to the the other side of the world um to <laughs> yeah, to, to take advantage yeah, of opportunities. Yeah, pretty, well, I think that's what they saw it as because if you sit back and, and think about it, you know what I mean? Um, they'd come here with nothing, couldn't speak the language. And you know what I mean? It took three weeks or four weeks by ship and 
you know, and it took just as long to get a letter back. Pretty brave people. Pretty and, brave people. And, and interestingly, you know, when they would come out, if they were coming from different parts of Italy, more than likely they were speaking dialect. So they, they, they still might have had some problems even talking to their, their you know, their fellow countrymen and women. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's no, yeah, exactly. But they, 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 the, the thing that they really had in common, they all like wine and they all like good food. So they got on together pretty well, to be honest. Sure. Uh, um, so you, you um, did you have any siblings? Yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I've got two sisters uh, and, uh, and a brother. And how involved? Because um, obviously, you know, your kids are, are pretty much all involved in the family business in some way. Was there... Uh, was that the same with your generation? With, no, with your, you guys all kind no, of involved with family no. business? No, no. The, the, the other rest of the family went their own ways. Um, well, my brother passed away about 35 years ago. Right. Um, quite young. Um, my sister, eldest sister, is married to the Delzotto family. Um, so they're in the wine industry too. And Carla, my younger sister, she works here with us. She, okay. she went away for she went away for a long time all over the place. No, at this stage it's just directly yeah, my family. But but after after matriculating you just came you, you came and you just started working on the farm. Yeah, I did. I did, you know what I mean? Um pretty much. Uh, look, did you go away at all? Did you do, do, do any travel or you know, working other regions or anything? Um no. <laughs> no. Too much work to be done. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I just, I don't, I, I wasn't really ready. I really didn't want to go away, to be honest. Mm-hmm. For a whole, whether, whether, whether I'm, just because I mightn't have been exposed to the big city or other parts of the world. Mm. Except that, my, you know, when I, when I told my dad that I was wanting to go on, a, on a, a trip around Australia with a group of my mates that I went to school with, he, he swiftly gave me a fair kick up the arse and said, well, you know, you're not going anywhere. So that put a stop to that. Yeah, right. But no regrets, none whatsoever. Was there, you know was I mean? the, uh, there always an expectation that you kind of were the, the one that was going to kind of take over the sort of the, the property? I don't know, to be honest, James. I can't really answer that. I, I think it was more that it might have been more that, that my dad might have thought it was just going to be a waste of time. You know what I mean? Sure. I think I think he was thinking more of that than he was um, of, of 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 anything else, to be honest. Because what was I was about seventeen, I suppose, um, give and take, or sixteen, whenever. But you know, um, at the end of the day, the guys, you know, they they went on their road trip, got into an argument, and came home within three weeks. So, not like you missed much. <laughs> I, I didn't miss anything. No. <laughs> so, um, at what point did um, you know the the did, the, the industry change or the market for, for the crops that, that were being grown then change and, 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 and what was the transition towards sort of more viticulture? Well, look, you know, if you're going back to when, you know, when the tobacco, tobacco, when the, when tobacco was, was good, it was good, you know, it was good financially and it was, you know, there's opportunity, there was opportunity, but it reached a point, it reached the point when I pretty much took over the family business where it was becoming a hand in mouth industry. Um, you just just weren't getting paid enough for the for the product and the costs the costs were continually escalating. It was a period of time, you know, where, you know, 
serious levels of inflation and, and, and costs just got out of hand. And the, 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 the turning point for me was, was really the difficulty that, that I had working with the Tobacco Leaf Marketing Board. And their vision for the industry was completely different to what I would have thought my vision was. And obviously the Australian government, you know, as much as they supported the industry through, through a, a quota system, really didn't want to be seen supporting the industry. Um, so you had a situation where the companies were, the companies were basically totally controlling you. And, and I felt, I think it was about 18 or something, I felt that that was not going to be the industry I wanted to be in. Um, going forward, because there was just no no opportunity of future. The real the real value that that at that period of time that the tobacco industry gave to myself and to my family was the fact that I could borrow money against the property, um, which enabled me then to 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 diversify um, for a period of time into growing vegetables, and which was very difficult to where we landed on, on, on planting our first vineyards in 1978. Um, why why was growing vegetables difficult? A difficult crop or like proximity to a market? No, we were just, just proximity to the market, James. Sure. You know, with the, we can grow fantastic vegetables up here. You know, it's one of those, it's one, one of those parts of Australia. I think you could grow anything. Um, it's got water, it's got great soil, it's got great climate. But the proximity to the market back then was just too far away. You know, refrigeration was, you know, was not necessarily on the main, you know, on the routes coming up our part of the world. So it was just difficult. I would assume uh, not dissimilar to tobacco that there wasn't real, there was no market for kind of more premium quality produce um, in, in that kind of respect. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. to pay for the, the extra transportation, you know, you know, the further distance and refrigeration stuff like that just didn't warrant um, the cost because no. you just weren't going to get enough for the, the actual crop. For the actual crop, that was too. Yeah, that's right. Look, you know what I mean. Um, look, I think if we'd have pursued it and um, and 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 really sunk our teeth into it, I think we would have been successful because we probably would have put our own, you know, um, logistics of transportation in place, and 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 it would have been okay. But, um, but it was one of those things, though, you know, that what I felt at that time was vegetables don't grow any higher than ground level and mechanisation is not the mechanisation that's around today. And I wasn't prepared to sit around and wait for that. Whereas in the wine industry, you know, tobacco, um, the, the, the grape harvesters had already been developed in America and in other parts of the world. So there was, there was a better opportunity of, you know, um, getting mechanisation into an area where it was difficult to find, you know, people to, to actually work on the land um, was, was really the industry to really to back, to be honest. Mm. So, so what, what influenced the decision-making um, as far as, you know, like what to, what to plant and where were you sourcing um, vine material oh, well, from? We, yeah. Well, when we, when we first, the real, you know, Brown Brothers were, were, were looking for grape growers at that period of time. So we put our hand up to supply, you know, look under contract to supply them fruit um, back, in, back in the early 70s, early 80s. So the, the really we were selling fruit at that period of time. We weren't making our own wine. We were selling the fruit to, to Brown Brothers. And, um, and over the course of 10 or, 15, 10, 10 or 12 years before, we developed our own brand. I was selling grapes all around Australia. I was producing about 1,200 tonnes 
of grapes at that at that point, which the which was made up of um, Riesling, Chardonnay, um, Cabernet, Shiraz, um, pretty much the four main major varieties, which so were pretty in, much market 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 driven. Yes. 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 And those were sort of varieties that, that you'd kind of be able to get a bit of a premium for, such as it, such as it was at the time. Well, there was. Well, there was a market, you know what I mean, and there was, and there was a, you know, and there was a an opportunity to make make a profit if you worked hard at it and you managed to, you know, to grow good quality fruit. You got rewarded accordingly. Mm. Uh, how how close was the working relationship with, say, Brown Brothers? Um, with, with oh, they no, really good. No, we had a yeah. We'll see. Mark Mark Walpole was the the, the viticulturist at the time. Mm. So no, we we. We had a terrific relationship with, with you know, with, with the Brown boys, John and Roger and Peter and, and Ross. And they, the relationship were good. They were terrific. Mm. So Very educational at the same time. Fruit was being harvested and sent to, to Millowa? Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. 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 Um, at, at this yep. point, were you kind of taking some for yourselves and, you know, throwing it into... Demi Johns or whatever the case may be, just sort of just sort of home consumption. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that was definitely happening. We managed we managed to successfully maintain ourselves in wine and vinegar for the last fifty years. So it's been a pretty successful project. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, at, at what point did you meet um, Katrina? When oh, did she become part of the the the, the project? Oh, I mean, the family, the business. Well, Kate, Katrina, and I—I I met Katrina when she was fifteen, I think, and I was seventeen. Yeah, seven, sixteen and a half, seventeen. So that's when I first met her, and we got married when I was twenty, and she was seventeen. Goodness gracious! So she's been part of this journey. She's been part of this journey pretty much from day one. Yeah, right. Right, right from the word go. Um, so I think nineteen seventy, we got married. What was um? What was yeah. Katrina's influence uh, in those um sort of early days and the transition into the, the viticulture? Yeah, well, she she played a huge part because she 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 was just an amazing support to whatever to whatever we did as a family, um, you know, mentally, physically, and 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 and, and just a terrific a terrific um um young lady. And so you know what I mean. As my dad always said, you know what I mean. Um, one person does for one and doesn't get any better. Two people does for three. So um, you know, if you have a successful partnership, you've got a very good chance to be successful in whatever you do. Um, something that obviously is important to 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 you guys is um, you know celebrating the the the, the beauty that that that, that simple. Um, but nurturing, um, nutritious sort of Italian way of life, particularly in terms of um, cuisine. And, and Katrina has obviously been really, really prominent in, uh, in promoting that aspect. But um, mm. I think Mark mentioned that your, your mum was uh, also quite a good cook. Yeah, mum was a terrific cook. You know, Katrina, Katrina learned a lot from mum and, um, and, and, and vice versa, I think. So yeah, they they were a terrific partnership when it, when they were working in a kitchen. They were amazing, um, and 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 obviously Katrina's got her own her own flair and her own skills. But 
but a lot of the work that she's doing today are, are recipes that she managed to get from from mum, from her her mother at the same time, and you know that's really the strength I think of her her cooking school. Just those, just exactly as as you said, James, that just lovely simplistic sort of um, recipes, but but very very flavoursome and and just rewarding when you eat them. She she's been a huge huge part of our food. Particularly in King Valley, you know, it can get uh, pretty cold, especially at night. So, you know, it's not, not a bad idea to have something nice and hearty, like a good osobuco or something like that. <laughs> no, no, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's, um, it's you, know, what, you know, I think food, food's important. You, you know what I mean? You, you, you know, you wake up in the morning, you think what you're going to eat for dinner and lunch. Um, <laughs> Certainly, yeah, li- living in lockdown, that's one of the main topics of conversations. Like, what are we going to cook today? What are we going to eat? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, there's going to be, you know, as, as difficult as it is and as much pain as creating in certain parts of our lives, I think that in the areas that it might make us a little bit more, um, you know, feel that we're, we're, that we're more capable of actually cooking and looking after ourselves and not necessarily relying on fast food all the time. You so know, with, with Katrina, she's got all her cooking online and she's mm. so busy. It's amazing. And it's really beautiful to see and beautiful to watch people enjoying cooking. Well, yeah, together, absolutely. You know, with family. I know that um, the cooking school is so um, important. So, you know, the, the fact that um, it, it can't run in its normal um, format um, must yeah. be very difficult, but, um, but it's fantastic that, you know, she can still kind of be connecting with people um, just in a, a different yeah. medium yeah. online. Yeah. I, you know, I know um, our mutual friend, uh, Mel Breuer, um, the Prosecco Queen um, you yep. know, loves loves catching up with you guys when she's up in uh, in the King Valley. Um, so yeah, I'm sure she's, she's missing right. the opportunity. Yeah, but she's yeah, sucked, you know sucked I mean? down here yeah. in Melbourne. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> I might have to send her a photo. <laughs> uh, so um, the the um, what what came first, the the transition to starting to think about making wine for yourselves or the planting of some of the more was, alternative Italian varieties, or was that sort of about the same time? It, look, it, look, I was, you know, I planted my first Italian varieties 30 years ago. Um, and, and, and that was really, I think it was a, it was a, a love for Sangiovese because uh, as Mark would have said, we're, we're really good friends and, you know, we've been sort of making wine together from nearly 30 odd years. And um, so he, he's, you know, he's, he would turn up with, um, with, you know, some good wine from out of Italy and Katrina had cooked this amazing meal while Mark and I were making, you know, small batches of Nebbiolo or Cabernet or Shiraz just, you know, after we'd done our day's work in the vineyards and him, him you know, working for Browns. Um, and really we just, we just fell in love with, the, with these varieties, just their suitability, suitability, you know, to food. You know, um, was was a big draw card, big draw card, and I think I think we were blessed when we when we planted these varieties that they actually um, really love living here, and so you know the making of the wine was pretty easy because the grapes were damn good, so um, you know, we were blessed to be well, honest. Was it difficult sourcing vine material initially? Yeah, it was. There wasn't. There wasn't much around. No, there was. There was not a lot around at all. There was actually 
none, to be honest, except that we found we found three vines of Nebbiolo in the Department of Agriculture nursery in Mildura, which had been in there for about a hundred years, I think, judging by when we asked the, the people, which was, I think James Busby was the, the man responsible for bringing them into Australia for, for the Australian cow. government, the Department of Agriculture at that point of time, which they managed and controlled all the, you know, the quarantine and, and, uh, and, and the health of plants at that period of time. Is it possible so we, to, we, we to, to work out what, what if, it, if it is a kind of a clonal um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idea they, they, had, they had that information. Okay, cool. And then, then we then we DNA'd it, you know what I mean, through through DNA, sure, um, to to make sure they are what they are. So, so the three original and make sure it wasn't Savignon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point too, of course. Um, this was unmistakably Nebbiolo. Tell you, you didn't have to DNA it. Um, you know, Nebbiolo's got its real characteristics that that are, you know what I mean. You you can't you can't mistake it for any other variety. But we still we still did the the DNA and well, three of the clones that were the more sort of most popular clones, I would say about eighty years ago in Italy at that point of time or a hundred years ago, sure I suppose and which which are still in circulation today, but not to the same degree. There are better clones out there now. Certainly, um, yeah, the last forty fifty years as you know the understanding about yeah. different clones of Nebbiolo, or yeah. you know also muscle selection probably yeah. has played into it as well. And and how yeah. premium um, Nebbiolo, particularly in the Lange, um, from places like Barol and Barbaresco, have have become. You know, yeah. you really want to select the the best quality vine material to produce the best well, quality it's, it's wine. Yeah, that's true, James. But you know, what's really interesting is, and and um, and it's probably work that you know the Italians have done a hundred over a hundred odd years ago, and. And remember, I mentioned that we we're very lucky that we landed in some, you know, where, where the varieties really loved it. I think, I think the clone is important, no question. But I think the bit of land that you plant it in is probably more important. You can plant a, an ordinary clone in an ordinary site and, you know, and, 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 and you will not make wine. You, you know, it'll be very ordinary. But you get an ordinary clone and you plant it on a, on a great site, you still make a good, you'll still make a good quality wine, you know. You might not make the 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 Grange of or, or the Barolo, you know, or the, but but you'll still make a damn damn good drink. And and, and I there. think you know that's also discounting the the influence that Vine Edge can have, because you know even if it was considered to be a a less um, not not as high quality clone, the fact that those vines were planted 20, 30 years ago. Uh, means that they have uh, think they're better adapted to the the environment, yeah. to the to the soils, and to the microclimate. So they will yes. not only produce you know a better quality wine, but a wine that shows more sense of place. Yeah, can do that. But a great site's a great site. Let me tell you, a great site. When I say when I say a great site, you know the site might only be half an acre or an acre, or it could be fifty square meters or twenty. Um, and and um, and you can see the quality of fruit to where the terrain or the soils, the terroir changes, um, is amazing. Honestly, mm. uh, but that's just my position or my opinion with the work that we've been doing now for 15, 20 years with our site selections 
and um, an understanding of our soils um, and, a, and, and a better understanding of our rootstocks and clones. Um, boy, if you get the right clone in the right site, you'll make, you'll make amazing wines. Mm. You might not make millions of litres, you might only might make, you know what I mean, um, 100 cases or 500 cases. But you'll still get attention for it. But Yes, exactly. and that's, and that's exactly. almost that's as good. Probably trying to say, you know what I mean? Yeah, though, in those early that. days, um, when you were starting to sort of make the smaller batches, I guess of um, of the Italian varieties, when you started taking them to market, what was the initial kind of response? Because um, Italian wine, probably, you know, quality Italian wine wasn't really being imported into Australia. So and there wasn't really much attention about how good Italian wines could be, let alone Italian varieties. Um, what, what was the initial kind of um, reception? Um, I think that um, when, 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 when we're in the marketplace trying to sell our Cabernets and Rieslings and Chardonnays and, and those varieties, you know, through, through the food chain, was really really difficult with a, with a, with a, with a, an Italian name selling a reasoning, and and with a King Valley that wasn't recognised as a wine region, um, was bloody difficult. Um, the 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 first day when I turned up in in Melbourne at Walter's Wine Bar with Walter Burke at the time while he was still around and a good our distributor Marshall Waters, we walked in with a with a couple of bottles of Sangiovese which was 1996. Um, and Walter had cooked a nice meal and we just sat there and drank a, a relatively simple Chianti from, from Tuscany. And then we opened, you know, a bottle of, of what I made here and, um, and he looked at it and drank it and he said, why are we buying the bloody Italian ones basically? And at that stage I'd only made one barrel. So there's only 28 cases and he bought, he bought 50% of it and, 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 Used to put it on his wine flights, um, you know, against the Italian ones, and and it was really successful. It was really the, I suppose, the turning point for us as a brand, and as a, as a business to to gave us that you know gave us that strength to say Man, this is this is going to work. So from there, basically, um, we we just continually expanded our production of of, of Sangiovese and of Nebbiolo. Um, and really, it's never looked back. It's just, just to, been just a, to a, put a, it into context, um, if if you don't mind me interrupting for yeah. for listeners who might not be familiar with uh, with Walter's Wine Bar, um, yeah. you know, I suppose to some extent that was kind of like the city wine shop of its day. It was uh, uh, unquestionably one of the it, most influential um, locations in Melbourne for for the wine scene, it, sort of there and. Wine. Jimmy Watson's to, 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 to some right. extent, you Absolutely. know, um, so, so to kind of get that endorsement was, uh, must've been pretty rewarding and to sort of say, Hey, I think we're onto something here. You know? Cause there wouldn't have been many places back then who would have uh, a, a decent understanding of Italian wines and to be able to kind of put it into that context. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was huge, James. It was huge because then, then it was on, you know, it was on a flight. You know, so every customer that come in to 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 eat basically um, had a taste of it. So you you really you couldn't have got a better start, to be honest. So so it was huge, yeah. And it was it was the it was the the restaurant and the bar for Melbourne 
because there was limited amounts of sort of concept of one food matching. Mm, that's what it was. Yeah, it was terrific. So, so you know what I mean. Um, what's you know what I mean? Somewhere along the line in your career and in your in your business, you know, there's more than one person that helps you on your way that lifts gives you a lift up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to to where you think you want to go, um, and and that was one occasion. You know what I mean? Marshall Waters and and which which was which was the gentleman that started Weinstock back in the in the in the seventies and um. And um, he was, he was, he was, he played a big influence and and a part of the success where we are today. You know, and, he had and, the. And this is the same wine the stock that um, Vince Pignatelli kind of revived. Yeah. yeah working exactly. with, um, yeah, with Alan exactly. Nelson. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see Nelson, Nelson, Alan Nelson bought wine stock from, from Marshall. Right. So that, that went under, went under the Nelson uh, that, umbrella. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> Marshall, when Marshall, yeah, and Vince, and Vince was heading it. That's right. As a CEO, there. So, um, I mean, th- like that would have kind of really given you a lot of encouragement to to really explore this more. How did you kind of um, start to expand into moving more into the Italian varieties? Because you know, the, again, they, 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 even sort of twenty years ago, there still wasn't a huge amount of Italian varieties planted in Australia. Uh, there wasn't. We found we found another clone um, of of um, of the Brunello clone in, in a in a backyard in Kite and somewhere, and um, and Gary Crittenden from Dramana Estates, which where I used to sell some fruit to at that at that at that same period, bit of Sangiovese and Barbetta and so on. He found this clone in someone's backyard, some doctor guy that just loved you know vines and he had a he had a about 40 or 50 different clones of all sorts of varieties so so we so we started off with about 10 vines of the brunello clone but what what i did james as 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 you know the 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 sales were improving i was grafting over some of my original vineyards so you know there um the cabernet blocks turned into sangiovese um by grafting and sort of that speeded up our production and given that I, i wasn't really selling much cabernet um, and selling Sangiovese, so we sort of embarked on a fairly big project um, of of grafting over all the old traditional French varieties, which were established, and some of them were ten years old, some of them were twenty years old, to to Sangiovese, and 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 to you know when we released our first Pinot Grigio about twelve or fourteen years ago, it's been terribly successful in the marketplace. So all the Chardonnay went to Pinot Grigio, all the Riesling went to Pinot Grigio, and and um, and so we converted, you know, a 200-acre vineyard, which is now probably 95% of my my vineyards are Italian varieties made up of, you know, Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, um, Barbera, um, some really fantastic little variety from out of the Friuli region um, called Verduzzo, which I think is delicious. It's white. It's a fantastic variety. Um, Arnaeus from again from a little Piemonte variety, um, which has been in the vineyards now for 20, 21 years. Again, beautiful wines, you know. Um, we just, yeah, I, 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 I just think that um, they suit the sort of style of wines that 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 we can grow in the King Valley. And and as you're well aware, James Joel 
took over from me in 2003, I think 2002, in winemaking, and he's just been an absolute champion. Mm. Um, great palate, absolutely great vision, and um, and and it's making some some extraordinary wines, great I, valued I, wines, interesting wines. I think um, and, what's been fantastic in terms of that sort of transition or that evolution is that you know you've kind of and particularly in terms of working with Mark Walpole you're you've kind of been innovating and experimenting and expanding in terms of uh, the Italian varieties and growing them you know and 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 um, you know Mark would have been a big influence about you know uh, um, oh, yeah. um, recommending what what to plant and where to plant it on the property um, but then you know, as Joel kind of took over, he, uh, from what I understand, he kind of took it to that next level as far as in, in the winery and, you know, trying different things and, you know, being mm. influenced by some of the things that were happening in Italy and, 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 and bringing that into the winery and, and even better um, translating the, what, what you guys were growing and, you know, and what the Italian varieties really represented. Yeah. Yeah, all, all of that, you know what I mean? And, and, and we, did, we did engage a, a, a Tuscan winemaker probably nearly 20 years ago now, Alberto Antonini, um, as a consultant, and um, he's, played an, he's played an amazing part in, 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 in sort of um, mentoring Joel in the winery and even in the vineyards, you know, um, with, with some amazing, amazing um, ideas, which really, I think it was all about... Um, cutting no corners and just really aiming, aiming for the best that you can for whatever decision you make and take in the vineyards and in the vineyard and in the winery and, um, and really working towards getting the expression of the terroir um, in the wine from, from our estate, you know, not trying to make something that our estate can't make. Um, and that's taken, you know, it's taken a number of years to, 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 to get to get you to get it to where it is today, and and I think Alberto has played a part. And over the last three four years, Giles working with with a guy from out of um, South America, um, and um, he's a he's a soil specialist and 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 an amazing palate. So just working with him to to map out every square inch of soil where our vineyards are and where our vineyards are going to be planted. So to get a better understanding of what that soil's potential is for whatever variety is more suited for that square metre of soil. Um, and it's quite amazing the results that are coming out of that project um, where now he's making small batch samples from sections of a particular vineyard um, which have been mapped um, and you can tell by the mapping the different soils and the and the ability of what these soils can actually contribute. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, your your acidity and your phenol phenolics compounds, your tannin compounds, um, can be quite different from one soil type to the other. So it gives you the it gives you the understanding before you're making the wine on what you can you know what you can make from that particular fruit. It's quite quite interesting, um, and, and I'm sure I'm sure part of that is playing into, you know, the the projects that you started a long time ago, and I, as far as I know, 
from, from what I understand, you know, you were the first yeah. ones to be making, not just, you know, Sanchez and Neviolo, but, you know, a reserve, um, you know, like a, the, the best yeah. of, of a vintage and only releasing it in the best vintages in the case of yeah. the Sanchez, the Rubacori and in terms of the Neviolo, yeah. the, the, the Coronamento. Um, and, and showing that not only could we make, you know, very high quality wines from these varieties that certainly represent the variety, but they're also uh, extremely age worthy. Yeah, they are very much. Well, you know, that is just pretty much a, 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 what we've, you know, the Rubacuare Coronamento and the Farsa di Faro are wines that have come from, from just living in the vineyards and having a visual and understanding that, you know, why is this fruit look so different to the fruit 10 metres down the road from these particular vines? And so it, is, it really follows up to the project which, which science is really backing what we were seeing, you know, above the ground. Um, and having it backed up by science is terrific. So, yeah, you know, look, you know, um, you know, your, your Corona Mental will, will give you 30, 40 years comfortably, you know, aged properly. It's just got amazing, amazing ageability, that, that variety. Probably more than, probably more than, than what Sangiovese has, understandably. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty special to know that, that on your own, you know, that you can find these beautiful little pastures of land and, and that can make these amazing wines. It's, it's pretty special. But I, like, I think it, it speaks to that kind of the humility that you guys have in terms of sort of saying, look, we're not pretending that we know everything. And that's why we, you know, we, we like working with people, you know, in some cases overseas to sort of say, hey, like, have a look at what we're doing. Can we do this better? But also the kind of the confidence that you guys have had, because, you know, you're, you were one of the producers for a long time was willing to put those wines up against the best examples or you know some outstanding examples that you would see in Italy. You know, I've yeah. I've been fortunate enough to attend um, you know, one Sangiovese um tasting and also uh, a Nebbiolo dinner um at the wonderful Catarinas uh in in, the, in Melbourne on Queen Street. Um and and you know it's it's been amazing to see how well those wines do stack up against you know, some very, very solid wines from Italy. Yeah, look, James, um, thank you for that. It's, um, I suppose the confidence comes from, from the, 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 we come from, we try to make the best wine we can from that variety, you know what I mean? And when you look at a variety like Nebbiolo, if you, if you, the tannins play a huge part. And, and I don't think the tannins need to be, they don't need to be rough. They just need to be balanced, fine, mature and sticky. You know what I mean? And if, if you get that right and you get the acidity right, you're just going to make a great expression of Nebbiolo in a, in a wine that has a very light colour. It has, has a really powerful, a powerful, you know, impact in your mouth. It's a wine that makes you say, have a look at me, you know, because I'm not going to go away. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in your palate for quite a while. And it's, and that's what excites me about Nibiolo as as a wine, um, and 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 yeah, we, we we can only make the best expression of what our soils are going to give us. And you know, I think 
I'm quite comfortable to put our wines up against, you know, the top 10% best producers of Barolo or Barbaresco. Quite comfortable, you know what I mean? I, um, I know the first time that they went up against great wines, I was nervous um, with groups of sommeliers, you know what I mean, through Melbourne and be blind tastings and that they could pick, they could pick the Australian one. But you know what I mean? Um, I reckon today, when I, I reckon today, if I put that same wine, that's 10 or 15 years age against the same wine, I think they'd have trouble picking it. I think they would just say, these are great Nebbiolos. Doesn't matter whether they come from Piemonte or whether they come from the King Valley. Um, this is a great example of these, these varieties. And I strive, you know, we sort of strive for that, to be honest. One of the things that um, I'm so fascinated about with, um, with where you guys are located is how it almost defies logic how well so many varieties from quite different parts of Italy, they, they all just seem to work really well. Like you, you, you'd be pretty hard pressed to plant Sangiovese in the Lange and get something great. Similarly, you know, you really wouldn't plant Nebbiolo where the best Sangiovese comes from in Tuscany. Um, and yet you in, in, on the same estate make are producing, you know, some of the best Sangiovese and Nebbiolo in Australia. Yeah, we're sort of, um, <laughs> we're definitely breaking the mold there. Um, I took my, doing a bit of work in, um, at Pro Wine in Germany. We went there for three or four years in a row and, and you know what I mean? And so we did, you know, we bought our Italian varieties, you know, the Sangiovese and, and the uh, Rubacuara in the Forest of Fado, and, and I thought, I thought one year I'll bring some Riesling and just see what the you know, the German um, sommeliers are thinking. You know what I mean? And um, it was quite funny because you tell them the story, and I had you know I had you know visions of um, um, sorry video of, of where the estate was and where the varieties, and I showed them where the Riesling was grown. And then I showed them where, you know, the Sangiovese they were drinking was growing and they were side by side, okay, side by side. And they just could not believe that you could make a, a Riesling, which is a slightly cooler site, you know, variety. And Sangiovese is a little bit like Chiraz. It, it, it likes a little bit more heat, a bit more temperature. But they just could not believe it. But it was just a great example of a microclimate because of the way our valleys are designed that the gods have given us, you know, it's on a slight slope and, and, and the air currents, the air currents coming down through a gully where, where the Riesling was sitting. When you took, you know, the, the day and night temperatures in that particular site compared to the Sangiovese site were chalk and cheese. You know what I mean? Your temperature degree days were, 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 were 30, 40% hotter, you know, and yet, there's only a, a vine row dividing them. It's quite amazing. Yeah. So go, go back to that terroir. I, I, would, I would suspect that um, if I selected a, a relatively warm site in the Lungi, um, I probably would make a relatively good Sangiovese. I don't know whether, I don't know whether they'd let me do that. Um, <laughs> I think the Piemontese would probably um, <laughs> would tar and feather me, I would suspect. Well, there's certainly, I think you know, in, in the same way that Burgundy and Bordeaux have a bit of a rivalry, the, yeah. the Tuscans and yeah, the Piemonte, yeah, you know, for yeah. the longest time they've had a bit of a rivalry. Big time. And that's, I think that's the beauty of our, of our, of our wine industry. That's the freedom that we've got. 
And you know, we, we, we've purposely, we've purposely haven't pigeonholed ourselves that we just make one variety, you know what I mean? Um, but, but at the same time though, you just can't plant one variety anywhere on our estate and think you're gonna get a good result. You really need to know, you really need to know the site that you're planting it in to, to make the wine that you wanna make to be successful, to bring the best expression of that variety, you know what I mean? Because all varieties are fantastic, providing you bring their best expressions. Doesn't matter where they grow. Mm. So, you know, and capture them as best you can. And capture them as best as you can. Um, don't try and make them just a, you know, to, don't take the beauty out of the fruit. Try and retain the beauty of the fruit in your wine by, you know, by not, um, you know, introducing too many other, other elements to take away from drinking wine. Because at the end of the day, you know, it is that sort of honesty that does make the wine so good with food, particularly, you know, that's the, what I've always felt. That's why I love Italian varieties. And I started to make, you know, wine exclusively from Italian varieties inspired by people like yourselves, because I think the Italian varieties just naturally work better with food. Yeah, they do, you know, and, and, and it's quite interesting because, um, that these varieties are, are, are relative, you know, most of them outside of Barbera are all relatively well, you know, do really well with their tannins. They're all, they've all got a, 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 a tannin profile, which are different to each, to each other. For Sangiovese from Nebbiolo to Barbera to Dolcetto to all those ones and Caniolo and so on. But they all have, they all have that marzipan characteristics about them. You know what I mean? Um, which is that sort of lolly, you know, bombagliotti, which is that sort of lolly, wedding lolly flavour, you know? that almond sweetness and the bitterness of an almond. Yeah. And um, I think it plays a really big part in that, in that food matching part of, you know, a, a Sangiovese. You know, you can, you can have it with a piece of whiting, even a Nebbiolo. For me, Nebbiolo, you know, just cook a piece of whiting or some prawns in just a little bit of garlic and just a little drop of soya and a glass of bloody um, Barbaresco or Nebbiolo or something like that. You go, how was this? It just, just works. <laughs> All right, it you're making works. me hungry now <laughs> and thirsty. Um, so obviously, um, when, once um, once people are able to to get out again, I I heartily recommend people head up to the King Valley uh, and pay you guys a visit. Uh, and also, if you can visit the um, the hotel that you guys um, own, um, yeah, where, where no, you, yeah mm. um, where I was. Um, really really um privileged and extremely grateful to to be able to stay when i came to visit you guys and obviously i um thank you so much for the the hospitality that you guys showed me um but uh, yeah like i say you know paying paying a, a visit to the king valley um and um mm. taking in some of that bella vita um it's the bella vita yeah unleash the wonderful unleash thing the italian, unleash the italian in you exactly. come and say good day but certainly, you know, yeah, buy some you. Pizzini wine and, and, um, and to, if, you can, if you can get one of Katrina's uh, cookbooks, now's a good time. Now's a good time to be exploring. Yeah, it is big time. Yeah, but, it is. Uh, Look, uh, thank you, James. It's no, great. thank you. Thank you very much for making some time. Um, and uh, I will uh, be sharing uh, website addresses and social media links. Um, please um, make sure you're following um, to see when you will be able to go and visit 
of the Pizzini family. But uh, Fred, it's been fantastic to chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing the story of the family and and um, and your particular part of uh, of Victoria. That's a pleasure, James. You know what I mean. Um, there's a lot of stories, and there's and it's one nice thing about when when we're here in Salador, we we come across people that are actually um not just interested in the wine, they're interested in um you know how did the, all this come about and and it's really nice to be able to talk to people and and sometimes you know just help them if they're trying to make the same wine we 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 you know we'll tell you our story as honestly as we can and just before i come on air with you james i just finished planting 20 um 20 fruit trees in my new renovated um orchard with apples and cherries and mulberries and you name it so um I needed I needed a rest. So thank you for rescuing me out of, uh, from out of the. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> it must be cold up there. Uh, but Fred, thanks very much, and I'm um, looking forward to the next opportunity to enjoy a bottle of uh, your lovely wine. Terrific. Come and say good day. Thanks, James. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Vincast. I have been James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, you can find out more information about Pizzini Wines at pizzini.com.au uh, and please do follow them on social media at Pizzini Wines on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me on social media at Intrepid Wino uh, on those same um, platforms uh, and you can find out more information about me uh, on my website, intrepidwino.com. Um, obviously, information about the podcast but also different writing I've done in the past, uh, a number of different videos, uh, there's over a thousand posts on there, so there's lots and lots to find on the website. Um, if you are interested in my exploration of Italian grape varieties, you can find out more information at vinointrepido.com uh, and you can follow me on social media at vinointrepido. Uh, please, if you are listening to this podcast um, on a, a platform or app that allows you to, uh, I really appreciate people leaving a rating and a review, which does help immensely, not just providing feedback to uh, the guests that donate their time, but also to potential listeners, because I'm trying to get the, the podcast out to more wine lovers just like you. Um, you can listen to the podcast on um, iTunes, uh, Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, Podbean, it's coming to Amazon Music soon, I think. Um, so there's lots and lots of different ways to enjoy the podcast. But uh, uh, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, and until next time, bye.